Welcome to the Bearded Tits podcast, the nature-based show hosted by me, Jack Perks. Each week I'm joined by a guest from the world of wildlife television, art and science. We take a light-hearted look into what makes these people tick and connect with the natural world so strongly, with new episodes out every Tuesday. Many of you will know I'm a keen wildlife gardener and love me a pond, so I've wanted to do a podcast on wildlife ponds for a while. Probably the best book on the market about the subject is written by today's guest, Jules Howard, titled The Wildlife Pond Book. It's well worth a read if you haven't got a copy. Don't forget you can follow us on Twitter, at TitBearded, and the Facebook page, The Bearded Tits Podcast. We also have a YouTube account, we also have a YouTube account, Wildlife Exposed TV, and you can see the full unedited videos on there, plus all the cock-ups because I don't edit them out. We're going to do something slightly different today, and rather than straight questions, I'm going to be putting all the biggest pond Mr. Jewels to get to the bottom of them, like, do plastic herons really keep the real ones away? And do ducks bring fish into ponds via their legs? Let's find out. Here's our chat. Welcome to the podcast, Jules. Hey, Jack. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. No, any any chance to talk about ponds? Uh, what I feel I should address first is when I contacted you on Twitter, there was a thing in your bio about, I think, was it a 3D duck's vagina? Are we going straight into that? Okay. Well, you know, you know what? Like that, I'm just the kind of person that that caught my eye. And, and I just thought, before we talk about ponds, because this has got nothing to do with it, what was what's that about? What's the deal? A few years ago, I um, made like a virtual reality thing for the for the charity Frog Life. Okay, yeah. so you're, you're you're on a toad. You go on this journey. The toad's trying to get across the road. You go on this journey. You go underneath the, the road, and it was all about you know connectivity and linking up wildlife habitats and the different ways we can do that. So it's really fun. In fact, it was it was in a lot of the London tube stations actually this pop up um, exhibition. So it's really cool. But um, after doing that, I kind of had, you know, all of the sort of infrastructure digitally to turn that into something else. And I'd worked previously, I did a book called um, Sex on Earth a few years back, and I worked with really amazing um, scientists called Patricia Brennan, who works on duck vaginas. And we were just having a chat and she was like, you know what, I've actually got a 3D model of a duck's vagina. And I was like, well, okay, should be pretty easy to just take out the you know the 3d toad world and just replace it with this duck vagina so that's what we did <laughs> to be honest i'm still i'm just unbelievably proud of it i don't know why no. it's, just, it's just fantastic it's completely for a while it was obviously fairly well i say it's i say popular it was fairly niche yeah no i think you should be very proud of it as well i mean i i'm very tempted to go and have a look at this now i just saw duck vagina but right make a note of that oh it's just fab- fabulous really yeah, yeah, that's how else would you describe it? Well, from uh, duck vaginas to ponds, let's try and get back on um, on topic. So the reason I contacted Jules is some of you probably be aware of, of this fantastic book that he did, the, the wild, I think titled The Wildlife Pond Book, wasn't it? Then I, I got that a couple of years ago and that helped me do my my pond and I'm sure a lot of other people did. So and it made me think there's so many common myths and at this point legends about wildlife ponds and all these things around. I thought, well, let's throw some questions at Jules and let's see if there's any truth to it all. So one of the ones is plastic herons. Do plastic herons keep away herons? Because some people swear by it. And then, yeah, I've seen conflicting evidence as well. But When I was a kid, 
we um we never had a pond when I was a kid, but our neighbours had a pond and they had loads of herons visiting. And I remember seeing these plastic herons. They seemed to, it was this was uh, the kind of late 80s and they really sort of took off. Everyone needed to have a plastic heron. And it's a great example of how a lot of these things, you know, it seems like there's scientific evidence for something. Well, there must be. It was in every garden centre. And actually, <laughs> I, you know, I, I, the the... The RSPB at the moment, you know, they suggest that it's, it actually makes herons more likely to visit ponds because they're sort of scoping out perhaps reproductive opportunities and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, like, if you like herons, get a, get a big <laughs> heron. Sometimes they can be decorative. You know, those sometimes you have like nice wire sort of mesh ones and stuff, and they can look kind of like sort of sculptures really in their own right. And there's no doubt about herons are so cool, aren't they? They're so sort of poised and just really, really, I don't know, emblematic of wetlands. So I, if you want to have one, have one, but it's not going to help much, is it? <laughs> no, I mean, if, if you don't know a lot about herons, obviously they they breed communally, so they're not bothered about being near other herons. So I've got this theory, it's a big con with garden centres to keep getting you to buy expensive koi and goldfish. They sell someone a fake heron to encourage a heron to eat all their fish and then like, oh, better go buy some more. I don't know, maybe I've got my tinfoil hat on, but um, <laughs> as far as I'm aware, it's complete bollocks. So yeah, if you like, I mean, I mean, I don't know much about, uh, about you know, goldfish or keeping yeah. fish in, it, in ponds, to be honest, but I know it must hurt so bad when, you know, you're spending incredible amounts of money on these fish and then just to see it go down the throat so and flies away, it must be so, yeah. so punishing, I suppose. I was watching herons at a heronry a couple of years ago and I saw one cough up this massive coin. and I thought, God, there's a couple of grand that someone's uh, yeah. that someone's missed but yeah I, I, as a bird I love herons I think they're amazing I'm I'm I, my main thing in my garden is my frogs and I'd be a little bit sad if a heron cleared out all my frogs but one or two is fine that's nature you know but we'll uh, we'll see I haven't seen one yet and we're kind of mentioning fish there so the other thing and I guess I know a little bit about this as well but a lot of people say fish are bad for wildlife ponds so it's a broad statement but are are fish bad for ponds or is it a little bit more complicated than that well, put it this way, there's if you think about what ponds are, there's ponds that, you know, establish themselves and, you know, in the wild, I suppose, like a, like a beaver pond or something like that, that's going to be there for a while. So there's going to be a lot of opportunities for things to move in and fish are a natural part of that community. If you're going for a kind of um, seasonal pond, obviously, you know, you wouldn't necessarily have fish there. And so you'd have lots more invertebrates sort of swooping in to take advantage of the lack of fish there. So I agree, some of the best ponds I know have loads of fish in them absolutely so i think like sometimes we're there's a kind of anti it's a bit like uh not exactly the anti-cat movement but it's a very kind of like okay this, there is only one pond and it is the pond that was in the wildlife book that my dad gave to me when i was 10 and you know i think you know a lot of this comes down to that really so no i love sticklebacks are amazing i absolutely love them i just wouldn't necessarily introduce them artificially if they get there that's fine but if yeah. not you know slightly different what yeah. do you think because obviously you know, fish, you, you've spent so much time with fish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm probably a bit biased, aren't I? But I, I think it comes down to um, a couple of things. I think it depends on the species of fish. You know, a pike isn't going to be very good in a little wildlife pond. That's going to scoff everything. But, uh, you know, something like a tench, which is quite passive. It doesn't, they don't chase things, really. They just grub around. I think tench are fine. Um, I think the size of the pond makes a difference. If you've the, the rule of thumb I go by is if your pond is smaller than a bathtub, probably not a good idea to have fish. It's it's too small. And if you've got a pond maybe the size of, I don't know, five by five meters, you've got a little more a little bit more wriggle room. But I also think the amount of cover, 
that you have in your pond makes a huge, if you've got a really well weeded pond with lots of rocks and hiding places, then there's no reason why you can't have dragonfly larvae and tadpoles with certain kinds of fish. Um, so my, for example, my wildlife pond has crucians in it and, uh, and tench, and I've still got newts and tadpoles and dragonfly, they all get on fine, but it's heavily weeded. There's a lot of places for them to, if it was just a barren kind of nothing in there, then I think stuff would get eaten. So yeah, it, it's not, it's not black and white. It's, it's, I, I would say it depends on species size, lots of factors, but you can have fish in a pond with wildlife. I guess it depends on your own expectations of what you want from it, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that's one of the real, the real challenges when you're giving advice is to make the advice simple enough to digest but also if people are interested letting them know that you know there is there there are, there are ways of doing most things with ponds it just takes a little bit more sort of complex thought really and with that book um you know the wildlife pond book that's kind of what i try and do is you know here's the basics but there's a lot more to ponds than just you know yeah. a 10 step guide to digging it you know yeah <laughs> yeah we used yeah. To, years ago i used to um and when i first went freelance i Pretty much my entire job was visiting schools and showing them pond animals and then encouraging the teachers to to dig a pond. And there was definitely this sort of trend of I would revisit after a year. I did, you know, uh, work with in the end, like thousands of schools. It was brilliant. It was really amazing. But what you'd find sometimes if you happen to revisit a school a year later in about, I don't know, uh, I don't know a quarter of cases, one of the parents, one of the teachers said, come on, let's get them fishing. Let's get those fish in there. We'll give you some fish. Come on, we've got these lovely fish. That they... And then you'd go back and dip that pond and you'd be, you'd just, your sort of heart would, you know, it would sort of sink really because, you know, in, an, in a new pond where there's, as you said, there's not as many hiding places, you know, it was a completely different feel if, if fish were there. They were loving it, of course, but, yeah. you know, that's <laughs> <less> so. <laughs> yeah, gold, gold, and that's the funny thing. Goldfish are one of the worst ones, really. They are... Um... They are buggers for it. So yeah, I wouldn't, wouldn't recommend goldfish for, for a wildlife pond, really. And it's not all going to be about fish. I will end on for this one. But with fish reaching ponds, because one of the classic things is fish eggs on ducks' feet. But I don't know if there's any scientific... It's one of those kind of things that you hear everywhere. Wherever you go, people are, oh, yeah, that's how they got there. But like, is there any actual research? Or is this someone down the pub talking out their yeah. ass? You know? <laughs> Yeah, I think what I, it's really I don't know I don't know as much about other uh, other areas of of um, sort of wildlife gardening. Yeah, okay. But I, I, I sometimes wonder where these things come from. Whether it is one established book or you know yeah. somebody who's very yeah, a real authority, maybe fifty years ago, and lots of people respect that person. Yeah, and they say it in a in a throwaway way, and that becomes the um, the sort of established advice. You know, it is yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, I mean, because from what I understand, fish eggs are really delicate. And they're not going to survive going up in the air, drying out and going. So unless that pond is right next to another water body, it's unlikely. But although there was a paper last year, actually, about how some carp eggs would survive through the digestive tract of a duck when it ate them. So it's not so much that the ducks are bringing them on their feet, but it could be they're crapping them out. And yeah. the occasional egg is making it that way. So but that's, it's, that's also the case with snails. You know, there's a couple of species of snails it? whose eggs can travel. Um, and as adults, actually, um, the, the, the actual snails can travel all the way through ah. the digestive system. So it may be, I agree. I, I, that's personally where I would be most interested. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's a sprinkling of truth in it then maybe, but I don't know the exact research um, behind it. And kind of sticking with ducks now as well but duckweed is it good good or bad for ponds some people 
because you can buy duckweed online, which makes me like, why are people buying this? But then, you know, some people absolutely love it. Some people loathe it. Is it a bad thing for ponds? Well, it's a natural thing, yeah. you know, and that definitely does move around, as you know, um, yeah. you, you know, with birds. So in a lot of ways, there's 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 no reason to kind of fight it. It's going to, if you've got, an, if you're looking to get an established bond, it's only a matter of time before it will make it in. I actually quite like it. It's definitely a personal choice here. I, I used to do um, RHS um, Hampton Court and just speak to like thousands of pond owners and everyone was like, like that was the most common pair of questions you know by far was how do you get rid of duckweed how do you get rid of blanket weed yeah yeah so in a lot of ways you know i've tackled it recently in my own pond by kind of clearing it out to about a third so in the summer this time of year you know i expect about a third of it to be there it's really good for there's a, there's a type of weevil beetle that you know only lives on duckweed Loads of newts and also tadpoles. You sometimes see them hiding underneath, don't you? And is that the same for fish? Do fish do that as well? Yeah, like yeah, a... they'll use it for cover, certainly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it has that kind of three-dimensional kind of structure to it as well. So it's like a, it's almost like a mangrove, isn't it? For yeah. that sort of inch underneath, with all of the, the the sort of roots descending, it's like a lovely little sort of uh, underwater meadow almost. So yeah, no, I, I, you know, I'm massively kind of for it, I suppose. Okay. <laughs> Well, I was going to say, like, sometimes pond planting can sort that out. So in the last couple of years for our pond, you know, the the water lilies have really started to take off. And water soldiers as well naturally have that kind of, um, you know, the the upward pointing legs, if you like, make a sort of boundary that duckweed finds it more difficult to sort Mm, of um, squeeze into. So you still have those patches of open water without necessarily getting that, um, that thick surface. I did have a Zola in my mum's garden pond, which I know is, is similar to duckweed, but that's non-native. And that's a little bit worse. But I found that was like like an 80s action hero. You just couldn't get rid of the bloody thing. Like I, I, I tried scooping it out and I left it because with duckweed, I know if you leave it at the side of the pond, it will dry out relatively quickly. But a Zola mm. just keeps going. It just was, you know, I have to get the flamethrower on the bloody thing uh, or and something. That is, like a, that is like a blanket, isn't it? Yeah, that, oh, you get like two or three inches thick of it. You know, it, it completely... So that is really, but if you've got a Zola, you want to try and get rid of that. If you, I mean, to be fair, um, so far the only foolproof way I've found to get rid of a Zola is starting again, which is not yeah. what people probably want to hear. But like, no. you get a little speck of that in your pond. It's. I don't think there's any herbicides that get rid of it, and yeah, yeah. It, it is a is a bugger to to get rid of. Duckweed's manageable. If if you don't like it, you can at least thin it out a little bit. But um, but I think there is a you, you say you, earlier on saying about the kind of myths and stuff like that. I think in some ways there's a there's a myth that um, you can just tame a pond and yeah. keep it the same forever. And yeah. if you get blanket weed, that's a really bad thing. Goodness me, that's a terrible thing. So you need to get in there with some, you know, cocktails that you pour in there and all this sort of stuff. <laughs> and it's basically, as you say, I mean, it, the, the ponds, you know, naturally is trying to get to that next stage of kind of bog garden, isn't it? So, yeah. you know, maybe it's time, as you say, it's a lot of work, but, you know, time for a, a pond somewhere else if you can, or like rejig that current pond and send it back to the start of its life i guess because i've um i've got some blanket weed in my pond and i thought right okay i'll I'll take some of it out but the amount of stuff living in it i feel so guilt and i've left it in now because i'll be ripping great chunks of it out and then it's just brimming with uh, hog lice and shrimps and dragonfly larvae i know that most of them will get back in the pond but i don't want any of these to dry out really so um i've started leaving it now i don't i don't i don't lose too much sleep over it and i don't think it's causing anything aesthetically it might not look great but um I, I i don't mind it i've kind of left it in there now 
Yeah, yeah. And like sometimes, some weeks, I think next week, I suspect we're all going to have a bit of a wake up call because it's obviously quite nice hot weather, isn't it? Mm. And I think like those weeks are, uh, that's when I tend to, you know, manage it a bit. I, I call it pond yoga. I go out there, <laughs> quiet with my little stick, <laughs> like a chimpanzee, you know, like I've got my like one tool that I go back to and then, you know, the old sort of spaghetti twisting thing. And like, you know, a bit of that is, is okay. But as you say, it is difficult. If you're counting the life of every single animal in your pond, it is really, really tricky to yeah. make sure, you know, and I, I think, I think I like, don't get me wrong. I like water lice. We have quite a lot of water hog lice in our pond. And sometimes I know that there's one of the, one or two of those that are getting put on the side. But yeah, often it's it's tadpoles and things like that you've got to watch out for as well. So yeah, you know. I mean the local blackbirds don't mind because they'll come in and <laughs> polish off bits and bobs as, as well. Uh, I've noticed garden centres as well have started selling uh, like freshwater mussels and snails to to cl- clean the pond. But I don't mm. again, I don't know if there's any truth behind that or if it's just kind of good good marketing. I don't know. Um, I know mu- mussels siphon, but I don't know if they're going to siphon an entire pond and snails. I would imagine snails would make it dirtier, if anything, because they're going to be crapping a lot. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I honestly don't know about um, mussels. No, okay. With snails, they're just moving it around. You know, they're just okay. they're taking one form of energy, the algae, and they're turning it into just you know basically pooping it out, as you say, on the bottom into a different yeah. sort. But to be honest, the water lice and animals like that are going to eat that, and so yeah. the cycle sort of continues round. So you're not. Yeah, as you say, you're not getting rid of you're not getting rid of anything. It just it's just taking a different form in the pond. Yeah, but I mean okay. it's hilarious, isn't it? The idea of buying water snails. It's like just buy if you're going to buy from a garden centre, the plants have nearly always got got them yeah. on anyway. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean the a, a good sized ram's horn was like two quid. And I thought, geez, I could I'm sitting on a fortune in my pond. <laughs> I could go start flo- walking down the street, flogging ram's horn snails. I'll be uh, be able to pack my job in. But yeah, it's amazing what people <laughs> pay for these sort of. Uh, sort of things and uh with with pond depth as well that's another thing uh, there seems to be this this is another one of those wives tales i guess where you've got to have a deep pond in case it freezes but you think about like when's the last time we had a winter where we got more than i don't know two or three inches of ice so i guess as long as your pond is more than that surely you're you're all good to go i don't know everyone goes you need to be three foot deep at least you're like whoa I think I think that's another example of where the am I right in thinking that's that that was the advice for fish in yeah. ponds. Yeah, yeah, I guess and it so, is. Yeah, you know, again, it's it's just sort of morphed and uh, culturally warped into something else. But you know, I agree. I think one years ago, I don't know if you know this or not, but this is a bit weird. Not as weird as the duck vagina. Okay, um, good. But I started off on a, a frog helpline. That was my first job for like the first five years before Jack. This is before the internet. So, well, there was the internet, but if you had any problems... Is this for, like, depressed frogs? No, I no, wish. Okay. <laughs> I wish that would be much easier. Um, no, it was uh, it was at Frog Life, and okay. it was, um, uh, you know, a phone line, basically. And right. we did about... It was, it was about 3,000 calls a year, and it was lovely. It was... Obviously, it was completely crazy, and you get such a, a broad view of the sort of loveliness of the wildlife conservation community. Yeah absolutely lovely but but there was a point to this um the uh what we're we talking about i've lost my thread Fro- frozen ponds oh yeah that was it. Frozen <laughs> ponds. so why are we talking ponds. to each other <laughs> <laughs> frozen ponds were um you know one of those things no one really had the right answer okay but, you know actually freshwater habitats trust have done some really interesting work haven't they on this and you know actually 
the ice, it can be bad for frogs. Obviously, winter kill, you know, with frogs, mm. particularly if your pond happens to have an absolutely enormous population of like, you know, 50 or 60 frogs, depending on that pond, can be really serious in those ponds. But, you know, according to their research, you know, sweeping the snow off actually is the snow that's more of a problem that's sort of limiting photosynthesis underneath the, the layer of ice, keeping that going, keeping the oxygen there. And then those frogs can basically carry on, you know, breathing. Um, through their skin and then jobs are good and so I think the freshwater habitat trust has done a particularly good job of trying to yeah separate myths from you know potential future research projects I guess yeah because I I can't remember if I read it in your book but I read it, it might have been Kate Bradbury's book but someone where you get a saucepan of hot water and then you put that on the pond which kind of slowly makes a hole in it which seems like a good idea but if it's really cold weather, it's going to freeze over in like a fairly short amount of time. So it, aesthetically, it looks it's quite pleasing, but I don't mm. think it actually does a lot of good. And I know that the classic one is a tennis ball, which I think I have tried, but that didn't do much good either. Although I don't know if the air can get through or, or something like that. I don't know. Tennis ball is a classic one, isn't it? Or some kind of ball. Yeah, I have a yeah, little floated football in there. But, you yeah. know, again... It, it would be really interesting to know the, the difference that kind of makes. What's really interesting is you, you often see the um, adult water boatmen and other um, water bugs, don't you? Actually, under the surface, and they're they're just there's this tiny little layer. It actually has a word, little layer, layer of air underneath the ice that those invertebrates sort of make use of in those uh, winter months. So yeah, it seems to be frogs that struggle the most. Okay, okay, um, but you know everything else potentially can sort of keep going a bit. Yeah, mm. okay, that's really interesting. Um, and there can be, I mean, we mentioned kind of fish and wildlife. And I know one of the other things people can be concerned with is newts eating tadpoles, um, which I find, I mean, I know they do eat tadpoles, but I mean, again, like I'm only can speak from my own pond, but I've got uh, palmate and smooth newts in mine and I've, and mm. I've got loads of common frogs and they eat a few of them. Sure. But um, it doesn't mean you can't have both. I think it's just something that you have to be aware of, I guess. The pattern, I mean, this is another, if anyone's listening to your podcast and like wants to get into a really meaty research project, it would potentially be quite easy, quite easy to do, um, is to, you know, actually look at how garden pond populations of amphibians change over time. Because in my experience, um, you know, frogs, they're quickest colonizers. This is their standard sort of, um, you know, behavior is to look for those ponds that no one else has yet found and exploit them, I suppose, before the predators get there. And then newts in every pond, well, in most of the ponds that I've dug in the past, newts sort of, they can be there at the start, but it's sort of like year three to five when they're sort of a regular presence in the pond. And often, you know, that's the point in which frogs that did have like 50 blobs of spawn slowly sort of start to deplete. deplete. So it might be that newts are out there performing uh, a sort of balancing function, obviously unintentionally, but, you know, frogs are really going to go crazy in those first months, bump up their numbers locally and then find up opportunities kind of elsewhere. But, you know, and that was that was probably I mentioned about Hampton Court. That was, that's the third question, how, you know, we've got newts. <laughs> we'll go for all them. 10. We'll go for all of them. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah but, no, you know, I... that we, we've got the frogs are out. They've, they've left us and these blooming yeah. newts. And it's like, well, you know, you, um, they're amphibians. Come on. They're yeah. great. They've got Enjoy the problems. newts. Enjoy Absolutely. the newts. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. I mean, I've because what I find is, well, uh, they hit the tadpoles early on. But the tadpoles do eventually get so big that the newts would struggle to, the, the palmate and smooth anyway, would struggle to eat them. So they do kind of coexist. And also, 
because people get really protective over their tadpoles. There's some real, uh, I was going to say nutters, that's not the right word, but passionate people. That's a much better way of putting it. Very passionate tadpole lovers out there. And um, yeah, they, they'll, they feed the tadpoles and they'll protect them. But if all of those tadpoles survive, you know, was it 3,000 per clump, your garden would look like an Egyptian plague of, of frogs. Yeah. And inevitably, the vast majority of them are going to starve because there's not enough invertebrates. So either they can provide food for a new early on, or you can have hundreds, if not thousands, starve in your garden, which is surely going to be more traumatic. So, um, you know, you want to, you do want some predators in your pond, obviously, don't you, to kind of keep the balance, like you say. I think what you said earlier on is the most important thing is that the more complex the pond is, the more hiding places there are, the better the, the chances of survival. Because, I, you know, I think, let's be honest, in some garden ponds when people were, you know, people have literally populations like of over a hundred and they've got a, a lawn covered in froglets. It's great, but it's not really that sustainable, is it? You know, they, that shouldn't be the expectation, I suppose. And when the, the lawn expectation... comes out, it's, uh, it's exactly. pretty gruesome. Also, when you have a sudden dry day and, you know, and, and you can lose, you can lose almost like a whole generation just from, uh, you know, them making the, 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 the running the gauntlet across the lawn and then basically getting caught out. So yeah, it's a, it's a it's a really it's a really tricky one, and it goes back to this idea we said before: there's there's not there's not one pond, you know, there's not one standard pond. You know, ponds are really really sort of dynamic, and they change every year. And that's for me anyway, and I'm sure it's the same for you. That's that's the, the fun bit, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, so I mean, how many ponds have I got? I think technically I've got six, which sounds like a lot. Some of some of them are tiny. I mean, I've got a, a little front garden pond, which is literally just like a. Um, a preformed one because I, I I moved into my house about a year and a half ago, and I couldn't dig the big pond. So I thought, let's just get that in. Let's just get a pond in. And even that, it's it's more of a bog right now. It's like purple loose strife, and there's not a lot of water in it, but it it, it does its job. Then I've got a, a larger wildlife pond. I've got a, a raised fish pond, and then I've got um, amphibian and reptile enclosures as well, which all have technically have ponds in them, but they're not. They're kind of closed off. Although things still find their way in there much to the so is this for is this for filming purposes as well as wildlife um yeah partly i mean i, I just like keeping keeping stuff but yeah it's like if someone says oh we need a photo of a roach then oh i'll just go in pond because i've got a roach you know or, or various yeah. native fish in there but i've got a european pond turtle um some yellow-bellied toads and yeah all kinds of menagerie of of european and british animals that i keep so yeah it's kind of it's interesting at night because you can hear things croaking and and, and the neighbours like, what's making that noise? No idea. No, I don't, don't know. I couldn't, <laughs> couldn't tell you. It must be a, a very poorly cat is making that noise. But um, I love yeah. it. I love it. The 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 kind of it's become kind of well worn advice about like one of the best things you can do for wildlife is to dig a pond. Yeah, you're like you're like doing it for other people. This is great. Yeah, well, hopefully, you know, superb. it's got to be, it's got to be done with um with wildlife ponds as well because some people are unsure whether you need a pump or not. And I guess what the general advice is, is no, I don't know. It's, I think I'm, I'm talking here about kind of uh, non-fish ponds. I yes. Suppose. Yeah. 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 So, that's what, yeah. You know, that's I've what... never, I've never, never really no. um, advised it in any way. No. You know, ponds in the wild don't come with a, with a pump. That's kind no, of, of course. What plants, mostly what the plants are there to take hold of. And actually I must say this again, nice little research project. If anyone's listening, wants to tackle this <laughs> when I was at Hampton. Um, uh, so what's that? I think it's, a, I, I can't remember quite, but I think it's like you speak to about over the years, it's like 30,000 people of those 30,000 people, about 
30 came up to me and said, we use um, a pond pump made by the big pond pump makers and their newts get trapped in it and they get kind of slaughtered. And, you know, oh. like, a couple of, you know, basically showing me photos. And, you know, I, I suspect that I suspect that not all pumps are brilliant for newts. No. I'm not sure what it is about newts. It was never frogs they talked about. Newts, I suppose, do sort of shimmy into cracks and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that was a bit, uh, you know, that was a bit unnerving, I suppose. So, not maybe not 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 necessary. No, no, no. I think that's right. I mean, to be fair, I might. I don't have a pump on my fish pond. It's just I've tried to do it naturally. So, like you say, there's no pumps in nature. So I've just done a marginal shelf, filled it with plants, and then I've dug it so it's about four foot deep. So I'm just hoping the volume of water and the plants take care of it, and the, and the clarity's not bad at all, and the fish mm-hmm. are fine. So I think. As long as you're not um, drastically overstocking it, that's fine. But like I say, for wildlife ponds, then I don't ever see why you'd need a pump. I don't, you know, I know some people like those solar powered ones, but I don't know what, I don't really think they're doing bugger all anyway, but I don't know. Yeah, I went through a stage of, of always having those just in the summer, these yeah. these little, um, they're like little fountains, aren't they? Yeah, they yeah, yeah. Up, all solar powered. And I, I thought, oh, you know, I'm doing a good job, you know, just keeping the, the oxygen levels topped up in the pond when it's incredibly hot. But as you say, I'm not I'm not sure we really know, you know, massively whether that is helping or not. It's some people yeah. like it just because it looks quite nice. It's, I don't think those things are doing any damage, which is. The no, main no, thing. no, no. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. Mm. That That's the, the main thing. And um, the dreaded tap water or we'll talk about that quickly. Like, is it bad for ponds? Because I know like the advice is always fill it up with rain but inevitably when you dig a pond your rain butt's half empty or it's not going to rain for weeks so you have to use tap water like is it uh is it better to just wait if you're patient or is tap water the quick and easy fix yeah for, i mean freshwater habitats trust their advice they are as i mentioned before really they they're really trying to tackle these big questions yeah and it's worth checking i mean if someone's listening to this in 2022 um you, you know, it's know. Worth <laughs> it might be. yeah <laughs> but you know you, you you would want i would check with them but um for me it's like do everything you can to naturally fill it with rainwater even if that means uh if you've got a hard line pond it will go a couple of weeks with only only half full um even in that situation as long as it's a hard liner i would say <clears throat> try and go for it in in my experience um as you say we we have to sometimes rely on it if you've got like you know if the line is exposed for instance and you've literally got no no other access if there's no cover from pond plants and it's literally just you know the the the, the plastic liner is burning in the sun then you know i would say that's one of those opportunities but obviously it comes with a cost and that, that cost is um you know is that going potentially more problems with blanket weed duck weeds further further down the line I had to um, resort to it this year and I realised my um, water butt hadn't been filling up um, and I sort of cleaned out the pond and then I was like, oh no, I've got no access to it. And I'll be honest, I haven't noticed a giant difference this year, but you know, it hasn't, we haven't had as much sun this year compared to previous years. No, I, don't, I personally no, no, no. don't think anyway. So that's probably more responsible, uh, you know, for it, but in a brand new pond, you know, with nothing in it, you just fill it with tap water. You'll notice, a, a, you know, a, 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 a difference in those situations, I'd say. I guess as well, when we were on about blanket weed and um, duckweed earlier, I, I bet if you ask those people, have you filled your pond up with tap water? And mm-hmm. the ones who've got the serious problems, or, or think they've got a serious problem with it, 
it's probably tap water ponds, isn't it? I because the nutrients and whatever is it's just going to go mm. going to go nuts, isn't it? I uh, yeah, I guess mm. you mentioned the edge of liner then as well. Um, what what's the best way to hide liner? Because I've uh, I say I've had a few ponds in in my time. And it's one of my pet hates when I, the idea is you're trying to trick people. You want people to look at your <laughs> pond and think, oh, wow, that's natural. But um, as soon as you see that horrible, bloody black line around the edge, it just takes you out of it. And uh, I'm not criticizing people because it is hard to make it look natural. Yeah. But like, is there a foolproof? Because um, I've tried all kinds. I think, again, I think I got this from your book. But the, the way I did it was I had um, I did a little mini ledge and then another ledge. And I put a layer of sandstone all around the first ledge. And then I put a layer of sandstone on top of that. And then I filled it in with clay. So you can't see the liner around the edge that way. You can see it a bit if you look into the pond, but I'm not, you know, that's for nitpickers. Yeah, yeah. But that's how I did I don't know. Is there a foolproof way or how do you hide it? No, I think there's a variety, there's a variety yeah. of different ways. The clay idea is really nice. Well, sometimes you need to top it up, don't you? If, if yes. The, yeah, yeah. If it starts to wash away a bit, but that I, I can hide a multitude of sins. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've used turf quite often in the past, you know, the turf strips. Yeah. Um, ivy again, like, you know, you can buy that or take it, you know, and from elsewhere in the garden. And, you yeah. know, that's another neat way. Sometimes I think that I agree with you, by the way, about like, if you see the liner, you're like, oh, the mystery of the pond. Is <laughs> yeah. can see. What a fraud I am. Yeah. I honestly think most people, I mean, that's one of the things that's in our head. I don't think most people go, oh my God, did you see Jack's garden? One of his six ponds. <laughs> so, you know, it's not, it's not overly no. something. And of course, the, the wildlife doesn't give a shit, does it? It's not like a frog's going to go, oh, no, 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 no. So you know, <laughs> it, it, it's just it's just us, isn't it? So, um, But it is one of those things that I'm like, good good Lord, you never see it. So, um, yeah, I think you're right. It, it, it's not too difficult. The turf's a good idea, because that, that's so easy to just bop it down and, you know, that's the last you think about. It, so I like... One of the tricky things, I don't know about you, but like one of the... Um, in fact, sourcing pictures for that book was really hard because... A lot of ponds, um, it's like this is a beautiful wildlife pond. And actually, when you cost it out, you know, and they've got like slabs or they've got, mm. you know, beautiful decorative rocks or they're using um, washed, beautiful uh, Scottish pebbles or whatever. Actually, when you cost it out, that's that makes ponds. Um, my worry is always that 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 prices, you know, people out of the market, if you like. Yeah. And I think our aim, all of us as wildlife conservationists, is, is to um is to show that you know ponds aren't just for rich people yeah you know, they're yeah. people who you know anyone who wants to contribute you know should be able to do that so you know turf can be a kind of quick and dirty i suppose the quick and cheap certainly a cheaper alternative to having yeah. loads of decorative rocks you know to, to to do that job definitely i mean what what i did with my sandstone so i didn't pay for any of it i just went on facebook marketplace because there's always someone who's backed into their own dry stone wall and then they don't they just want to get rid of it so i because I've only I only had like a little Volkswagen at the time, so I did about a hundred bloody trips to get this sandstone. But I just went to people's gardens uh, that let me. I didn't nick it. That let me have it. So I got loads of it for free. So there are options. It's a little bit yeah. labour intensive, but if you did want the stone effect, you can get it for free. You've just got to keep uh, putting out. But turf, yeah, that would be the easiest and probably cost effective way. Definitely. But I think I think actually, but there are obviously benefits to um to you know slabs rocks in that there's lots of cracks in there yeah yeah Actually, um you know one of the problems the only i'd say the only big problem with turf is that you know it's just not that unless you let it grow which we should all be doing obviously 
that the, the cover you know it's open to when the froglets make their big journey as you yeah. mentioned before blackbirds in there hoovering them up and you yeah know, yeah yeah opportunity but yeah interesting yeah the rocks are good for, and the other thing you can do is plug a bit of clay and then put a plant in so it, it, i mean at the minute it looks like a bloody jungle because like, i'm not obviously with my back i've not been able to mow the lawn so the garden is looking pretty feral which i don't mind i quite like that but um yeah it's pretty pretty bad out there um and kind of on that theme of, of cost effective i guess what what's the kind of views on taking say plants or or animals from other ponds because i know there's obviously the risk of disease and parasites non-native species but like as far as i'm aware it's it's not illegal i guess is it frowned upon or is it or are there circumstances where you can i don't know what what's your thoughts on it i think um there's certainly with some species obviously it you know there is illegal you know thank yeah. goodness yeah, yeah um but i think mostly what i've always done is is Honestly, I hate Facebook, but I do think there is value in these sort of Facebook local community groups and stuff like that. Someone's yeah. like, okay, I've got this, you know, this, this pond weed is going spare. And it, it is, this is one of the problems really. Um, you, you've got to be careful what you're, what you're getting, you know? So like, you know, having a quick scan online and just seeing what kind of, you know, whether the plants you thought they were, they genuinely are those plants. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But for me, that's always been the best and the cheapest route. I, um, uh, I, it, bluntly, I'm not, I'm not, I have not enough confidence in garden centres. Well, first of all, I think they're massively <laughs> overcharging because yeah, pond yeah, yeah, plants yeah. are not massively labour intensive to grow. The, you know, the species names, in my experience, you know, 75% of the time, it's roughly the same as a native species, but often it's kind of not, you know, and so there's, you know, slight differences in species that they're using compared to the ones that we prefer to use. And also, uh, I I just think it was such a big wake-up call, um, contrigiomycosis and ranavirus in frogs. Really big wake-up call. And we've seen, obviously, on a human scale, how quickly diseases can travel. And I just feel like there might be something else out there that we don't yet know about that ends up causing loads of problems. So for yeah. me, like keeping it sort of local is, you know, the best way, even if that means you're putting the, the call out there on a local community group to say, yeah. does anyone have any cuttings? Because I think a lot of us don't really think that we think our ponds are, this is a really obscure and niche thing we do with this like water in our garden, but actually a lot of other people might be out there, you know, looking to um, get their ponds that bit more established. The official advice is always let things colonize naturally yeah yeah but i'm i mean i'm the first person to say like that's not that's great great advice the best advice but many people want to have their ponds that little bit more advanced and you know have that have the animals visiting that yeah. bit more quickly so i'm i'm kind of understanding of that need for some people but you know there are many people who who do just do just that they got their nice circle you know their kidney shaped hole i suppose in the garden yeah. and they're yeah. just going to let it see what's there but that's you know that's that's a like hardcore ponding yeah i mean i guess if your pond is near a, a river or, or a lake within spitting distance then stuff's going to colonize really quickly but if you're in you know the middle of manchester or or, or or london or something and there's no water bodies particularly nearby you're in a built-up area chances are stuff obviously can find its own way but it's probably going to take longer and and you know yeah. I, I can understand the urge to just chuck a flag iris in the corner or yeah. um, or something like that so yeah and i think that's sound advice you know if, if you are going to get stuff try and just get it as close as possible because chances mm -hmm. are whatever that thing is it might have found its way to your pond at some point anyway so if it's local it's you know 
so no, I think that's um, that makes a lot of a lot of sense. I'll, I'll end on this on this last one because you'll you'll be pondered out otherwise. But one of the things that people flag up is when they dig a new pond within a couple of weeks, it's chock a block with mosquitoes or mosquito larvae. Yeah. So is this a thing that is is it a problem or is it this, is it just part of the pond process, like you say? Do you know earlier on I said um, if anyone's listening to this in the future. Um, this is one of those things that you I absolutely got to check because I think we are treading quite a fine balance. So I was one of those that said, like, if you don't like mosquitoes, don't, don't, maybe a pond, a pond near your back door is not a great idea. Yeah. Um, because as you say, in those early years, they, 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 because it's an empty space, of course, they can reproduce pretty quickly. Most mosquitoes don't necessarily emerge and just go, right then, let's drink some blood. You know, a lot of them will go off. You often find them near sheds and things like that. That's because they're very sort of sensitive in those earliest moments. And so it's not necessarily that they just come and hunt you straight away. You know, a lot of them do need that time elsewhere, sheltered, shaded, kind of out of the way. So that kind of works in our effect. And the other positives, there are loads of positives to, you know, mosquitoes in that, you know, most of them are going to become bat food. 50% of them are males and they're just, you know, pretty uh, pollinators, I suppose. Um, But okay, so that's the good side. That's really good. And also, of course, the mosquito larvae themselves bring in predators. So, I mean, many of your listeners and you will have seen this yourself, you know, in those early days at this time of year, there are diving beetles all over the place and they're just literally looking at the floor from on high and landing in uh, ponds and just scoping them out so even i would say in this time of year if you dig a pond at this time of year you can expect that to happen within two days there to be beetles in there hunting looking really? for opportunities yeah, absolutely. yeah great diving beetles like it's absolutely amazing yeah. so um so that's the good news uh the Concern, I suppose, is not only um, that we end up with um, non-native, well, currently non-native mosquitoes naturally colonising um, Britain because of climate change. It's almost certain that eventually that's going to happen. And when that happens, uh, all of us, as a sort of conservation movement, are going to have to really carefully consider our advice about ponds because. I've learned this firsthand is that you can't necessarily go to you can't go to an American audience and say, hey, guys, get digging. Hey, you live in Florida, dig a pond, help wildlife, because, you know, that is absolutely not necessarily the great advice for human health. So we, I, I'm dreading it. If I'm honest, I'm absolutely dreading uh, that moment because I think, you know, we're going to have to rethink how we how we, uh, you know, the advice that we give. So that's a concern for the future. It might be two years, it might be 10 years, it might be 25 years, but I think that's something that's going to be out there. This and is presumed. Sorry, Jules, this is on. presumably because you're worried about mosquitoes carrying things like malaria, yes. is it? Yes. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 sorry, I'm just, just making it clear. So yeah, that, that, um, that makes sense. So that's the, the concern. Um, currently, the, um, I can't remember what they're called, it's like the mosquito group, the official mosquito okay. Uh, sort of scientists you know say that ponds you know in britain it's still the best advice it's still you know the the thing you should do if you like for wildlife and there's yeah. no threat to humans now the reason i say humans is because we are gaining more knowledge about um one of the main mosquito species the one that kind of dangles down so um 
there's the, normally that you get the ones that sort of on the surface, the larvae that sort of swim a bit like tadpoles, and then the ones that dangle their tails downwards. Yes, yeah, yeah. And the downward pointing ones um, can spread malaria around birds. So um, a lot of uh, you know malaria deaths don't necessarily happen to humans. This is a you know a, 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 a clutch of nasties basically that can affect different groups. So there is a, there's potentially a welfare argument there, and there is um, a team of scientists, and momentarily I've forgotten from which university they're working, but they're you know assessing I suppose the risk to local population uh, to local populations of birds. Now my advice would be to say, do you know what? If you've got a bucket around the back of the shed and it's filled with water, if you've got you know litter around the back, of, you know where you keep your bins or whatever, and you know you've got old compost bags and water's collecting in them. If you've got, you know, plant pots that have fallen over and they're, they're filling with water, that's where, the, you know, the bulk of mosquitoes are going to be going. So hopefully if we get rid of the, that side of things and maintain wildlife ponds as a sort of service for communities, we'll be able to weather that storm. But I do I do sense it's coming, unfortunately. Because I guess the other thing is mosquitoes, once a pond is established, I don't know if they actively avoid it, but they they certainly try not to because there's so many predators in there, isn't there? Everything loves to eat mosquito larvae. So I guess it's probably a last resort, a wildlife pond. But like you say, if there's just some little little bit of water hidden in the garden, that's where they want to be because it's predator-free and um, doesn't take them long to, to come out. You'll probably see a surge in stickleback sales because they would be – they're the kind of yeah. European mosquito fish, aren't they? They'll um... – <laughs> It's normally my dog. It's normally my dog that kicks up. What have you got? What dog is it? Uh, he's a uh, whippet sort of bedding, uh, a lurcher basically. Lurcher, okay, yeah, yeah. Long he, he only barks when a post when we have a delivery or something like that. And when, okay. even I'm like, bloody hell, it's a loud bark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've got a dachshund which thinks she's a doberman, oh, so she truly she, really? <laughs> she, she kept up. I wish I had that level of bravado. You know yeah. what I mean? That you yeah. just be like instantly like, I don't care about my size. Let's go. You know? Yeah, no, she do. Yeah, yeah, she does. <laughs> so I think. I think like, you know, I would hate for people to think, oh, my gosh, my, my wildlife pond is a, is potentially, a you know, a dangerous place. It definitely isn't. But it's a, it's a debate we'll have to come back to. But for now, it's a brilliant thing to do. Yeah. And I think that's the that's the way yeah. to go. Hopefully we're OK. You've tamed it. You take. Well, to be honest, we're at the end now anyway. So no, no worries. But look, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk about ponds with you and kind of cover some of those common questions and myths. And hopefully that's helped some people out when they're with their own wildlife ponds and and if they're thinking about doing a wildlife pond. Yeah, absolutely. Honestly, it's a real pleasure. So thank you for having me on. And, you know, let's keep ponding. That's it. <laughs> if people want to get your book as well, is there a preferred, you know, is it just, just anywhere or, or is there somewhere you'd rather people get your book from? Yes, came prepared. That's it, yeah. Um, so uh, to be honest, just get it from a really nice bookseller that you love. Yeah. Okay. Or, you know. or Avoid you the know, dreaded Amazon. <laughs> I guess so, you know, but if you do use Amazon, then just leave a nice review. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note... Oh, thank you, Jack. Very nice to uh, meet you and see your lovely... What, so we've got these perch in the background? These are perch that I've got, yeah. So there's four of them. Um, there's one that's significantly smaller than the other three, so I'm a little bit worried that that one might um, might go one morning, so I might have to move it out at some point. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, keeps me busy. Look, pleasure, Jules. Take care, buddy. All right, cheers. See you later. That was Jules Howard. You always learn with each pond you do. I'm probably on my 10th pond now over the course of my life and the one I've done recently is the best yet and that was largely due to Jules's book.
I'm slowly trying to convince my wife to turn my whole back garden into a pond. I'll get there eventually. I've put a link in the description to Jules's book if you haven't got a copy already. If you can, there is a link also in the description to buymeacoffee.com and you can help the podcast by donating £3. You can donate more if you want. I suspect you won't, but you can donate more. And that helps the podcast keep going. Officially, it's going to be used for web hosting. Unofficially, I'll probably go to the pub, although three quid doesn't even get you a pint these days, does it? If you could also leave a review, whether you're on Spotify, iTunes, the dark web, however you're listening to this podcast, it helps it out so much, so please leave a review. Next week, I have got Sophie Pierce on the show as we talk about what it's like to be a wildlife TV researcher. Really interesting chat to find out what goes into these programmes. This has been the Bearded Tits podcast. I've been your host, Jack Perks, and I'll catch you next time. Cheers.